to begin in the next several Sundays a series on habits of grace and what are those things? What are habits of grace? Um, habits of grace are simply those things that we do in our Christian life that allow us to live out the grace that God has given us. And they're very simple things. And some people call them ordinary things. Uh, things such as what we're going to be talking about this morning, the topic of prayer. Prayer is something we all need to be doing. It should be a habit. And it's a habit that allows us to grow in Christ and grow in the person that we should be in him. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 11 today, so if you'll turn there with me, and we'll begin with our Habits of Grace, Prayer, a Lesson from the Master. Uh, We're reading today about how Jesus is teaching disciples to pray. When Pastor Jim gave me the topic of prayer, um, I was like, well, what passage am I going to go to? And of course, this one popped out to me, Luke chapter 11 which is where the disciples ask, you know, how, how do we pray? And I say, no, 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 that's, that's one that we hear about so much. You know, it's the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. And why would I go there? But I realize if you're going to teach someone how to pray, what better place to go than to the master teacher who is teaching them how to pray? And then as I began to delve into the passage and to study it more, um, I walked away very convicted. And I trust that this morning we will all walk away convicted by the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us this morning from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. So let's read this together. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you? who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, Will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Father, use your word. Help us to see you 
from your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would do his work of showing us you through the word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one who has given us access to you. Amen. What I want us to see today as we begin to pray, or begin to look at this word, is that Jesus teaches us to pray by pointing us to the Father. Jesus teaches us to pray by pointing us to the Father. Luke is a narrative about Jesus. He's giving us very factual information about Jesus. And in this passage, he gives us multiple accounts of Jesus praying. And as he was praying, we come to this instance where Jesus was praying in a certain place. And there must have been disciples around him. Because as he finished his prayer, one of the disciples, we don't know which one it was, but one of the disciples comes to him and he says, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I don't know if the question comes up into your mind is, why did the disciples put this little parameter on there? Why didn't they just say, Lord, teach us to pray? Why did they say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray? I don't know. But as I thought about it, why would that be what he says? Well, there could be a number of things. First of all, we know that the disciples weren't coming to Jesus and saying, teach us the mechanisms of how to pray. They knew how to pray. Praying was not new. (laughs) Just go to the Psalms. Full of prayers. Daniel prayed. Moses prayed. Go on through the Old Testament. Prayer was not something that was unknown to the disciples. And as the disciples came to Jesus, they had experience with prayer. They had seen him pray. They had watched him pray. Why did they say, teach us to pray? Well, one of the things could simply be that they saw Jesus pray in a way they did not. They saw the way he spent time in prayer. And they realized they had a hard time doing that. How often did Jesus go and pray and then he would find the disciples sleeping? They couldn't stay engaged the way Jesus was engaged. So perhaps they were coming to him saying, Lord, teach us to pray with the the way that you are praying. Help us to have that same intensity that we have, that you have in prayer. Because it was Jesus' habit to pray. Jesus showed the disciples examples of his prayer. And that's the first point we see to this morning, is that Jesus' example to his disciples. He had a habit of prayer. Luke tells us of 11 instances where Jesus is praying. Instances where he is recorded in Luke as praying more than any of the other um, gospels. Luke focuses in on his prayers and his praying. 
Now, of course, in John, there is John 17, which is a prayer we focus on. But the number of instances where Jesus is praying, here in Luke, it's one of the most that we see. He also talks a lot about prayer in the the book of Luke. Eight times Jesus teaches on or exhorts about this matter of prayer. So prayer is a focus in this gospel, in this factual account of Jesus and the experiences the disciples had with him. They knew that he gave them the example of praying, the habit of praying. But then we come to that second part. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I kind of think this is what they were aiming for. Yes, they wanted to know how Jesus prayed. But there was also this idea of what was their identity in prayer. John and his disciples, they prayed and they also fasted. Remember the Pharisees came and said, why does John, they fast and pray, and your disciples are having a good time? And Jesus said, while the bridegroom is with them, they rejoice. The time is coming when they will fast and they will pray. But John, we don't know exactly what it was that, how did he teach them to pray? What was the wording that they used? But it's very obvious that there was some type of identifying factor about their prayers. When people looked at the disciples of John and they prayed, it must have come about that people said, whoa, well, that is a disciple of John. I can tell that by the way he is praying. It's an identifying factor. So I can see the disciples. It would not be outside of the way they operate, to come to Jesus and say, well, what's our identifying factor? What is our way of praying that is according to the Jesus school? How are we supposed to pray in that way? What is our identity? So Jesus says, okay, I will teach you to pray. But in anticipation of learning how Jesus is teaching them to pray, go back to the chapter before, chapter 10. And we have this instance, the story of the 72 who went out and Jesus sent them out to tell about the kingdom that was coming. And he told them, go, don't take anything with you. Just go into the cities. If someone receives you, then go in. If they don't, then shake the dust off your feet and leave. He sent them out to do a work. And they came back. And when they came back, they were rejoicing. They were excited about what had happened. And you get the sense that Jesus also was excited for them. He was rejoicing in what they were experiencing as they went out to do his work. And we read in verse 21, In that hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And or who the Father, and no one knows the Father. I'm sorry, let me get up here. 
All things were handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that sees what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There are two things I want us to see in that passage that was read. One is that Jesus, he sees them, and then it appears from the context that he then exults in prayer. This was a public prayer. It's one of the reasons why we have it recorded here. People heard Jesus praying. Jesus right here was giving the disciples an example of how to pray. And then he turns to the disciples and he says to them, and he talks to them privately. But this was a publicly heard prayer. So right there we have an example of Jesus showing how to pray. But it's more than just the mechanisms. Here are the words you say. And that's where we are going to turn our attention as we go into the rest of this message. It's not about how you pray. It's about the way and the why you are praying. Jesus is not trying to teach them, well, here's the mechanism. Here are the words you're supposed to use as you pray. He's trying to teach them, here is where your heart needs to be when you pray. That is the lesson of the Lord's Prayer. And where was the focus when he prayed here in chapter 10? Well, I would say that it is on the Father. And that leads us to the Master's model. We call this the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the Disciples' Prayer. It was the prayer that Jesus was giving to the disciples to pray. It wasn't a prayer that Jesus needed to pray. Jesus did not need to pray for forgiveness of sin. He did not need to pray for mercy. He was the giver of those things. This was a model prayer that he provided for his disciples. But just as he did in chapter 10, Jesus puts his focus on the Father. When you pray, say, Father. This word Father is the beginning of the Christian prayer. In the Old Testament, Father was used, it was typically used as the Father of Abraham, more of an hereditary type of Father, the Creator. But the idea of a personal God is not found in the prayers of the Old Testament. When the word Father is used. As a matter of fact, the word Father is, I think, it's only 14 times used in the Old Testament. As we turn into the New Testament, it's used, I think, 288 times. The focus begins to turn to the different approach a different relationship with God, the Father. And this can be seen in the language that's used. Jesus was teaching and preaching and speaking in an Arabic language, an Aramaic 
He wasn't speaking Greek. And the word that he would have been using in this term, in this Aramaic term, would be the word Abba. Abba, Father. When we see Jesus in the garden and he's praying with that intensity, it actually comes out in the text. The word that is used is that Aramaic word, Father, Abba. Then Paul in Romans and Galatians gives us that same word. We go to our Father, our Abba, our personal Father. This God who is the creator, who is the covenant creating God, is also a personal God. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I pray to my father because I have a connection with him, a Trinitarian connection. I am the father. I have a connection that our human minds can't even understand. But it is a connection of love. It is a personal connection that is a perfect, perfect personal connection between Jesus and the Father. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, bringing us into that same relationship with the Father. As we go to that wonderful passage in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays that we would be united with the Father just as he is united with the Father. That is the language behind this word that we see and we begin our prayers with. Father, a personal relationship. We come to him as our father. And that's going to be bared out in the rest of the passage. God is our father, a personal relationship. But he is also an eternal God. And that brings us to the next phrase that Jesus mentions. He says, hallowed be your name. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 23. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So as we think of this term here that Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. What he's saying is, God, Father, sanctify your name. Make your name glorious. Make your name Live out all the indications of I am. You are the eternal God. You are the God who did create the world. You are a God who's so far above us. You are holy. Sanctify that name. Don't let us get in the way. Don't let us profane that name but let us be your tools of glorifying that name. 
our Father a personal relationship, but it's a personal relationship with the eternal, all-powerful, holy God. So when we pray, we are praying to someone who is good and loves us, who wants a personal relationship with us. But then we are also praying to someone who is great and powerful and will do his work. And then it's a personal relationship with God eternal, but for his glory. Your kingdom come. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Because you are who you are, things are supposed to be a certain way. And so as we pray, we are praying that as you sanctify your name, the results of that will be known. It will be known here in this world, but ultimately it will be known as you fulfill all of your covenants, as you fulfill your purpose, your kingdom will come. The kingdom is coming, is coming in our hearts But someday it will be here. We will stand before him. Every knee will bow before him. Those who want to reject him cannot. He is the king of kings. So this prayer begins with a great focus on the father. And it's easy for us as we move into the next part of the prayer to lose our focus on the Father because it turns more toward things where it sounds like we're talking more about ourselves. But that's one of the things I want to challenge you with this morning. Why are you praying? Why do you seek to pray? Why would you go to Jesus and say, teach me to pray? For whose purpose Would you ask that question? Would it be for God, Father, eternal God, the one who is going to work his will in this world? Or is it for you? I would like to challenge us that our prayer, even when we're praying for our own needs, should still remain focused on the prayer that is our Father. Trust in the Father. We trust the Father for our daily needs. Give us each day our daily bread. Or give us day by day our daily bread. The idea here is that this isn't just a one-time thing. This is what we need day by day. And I would bring that in for us to understand as we are praying, Father, Hallowed be your name. As you are sanctifying your name, as you are bringing about your kingdom, in that process, give me day by day what I need to be carrying out my part in that story. Were the disciples asking that or were they asking, well, we need an identity. We need uh, a theme. We need people to be able to see that we are Jesus' followers by the way that we pray. Or were they saying, I want to know how to have the power of prayer. So he tells them, when you are praying, 
to the Father. Ask for your daily needs, the day-by-day needs that we have, and for our daily mercy, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, that's kind of interesting. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I don't forgive people, I have to go through this mechanism of forgiving everyone that I may have wronged before I can go and pray to Father? That's not what he's trying to say. It's not though you have to perform this in order to be heard. It's the person who is living this way, the person who is going to be praying and having this relationship with the Father is going to be characterized by being like the Father to whom he or she prays. The person who is praying for forgiveness to our Father is the person who most understands that we need to forgive. That person is not holding on to a grudge. That person is not seeking their own advantage over the people who are around them. That person is seeking to live in the humility before the Father who forgives. So when we go to pray and we ask for God to forgive us, we must go humbly and with the desire that if he forgives me, As rotten and as sinful as I am, how can I not but forgive those people who have wronged me? Look at what he has done for me. Now I must forgive. And the person who is forgiving is that person who is living in the forgiveness of the Father. So Father, forgive me as I am forgiving those who have wronged me. Let me understand your forgiveness in the way that I am forgiving those around me. We pray for our daily needs. We pray for our daily mercy. And then we pray for our daily protection. And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? Does this mean, Lord, keep me from ever being tempted? Well, it very well could be. (laughs) A heart's desire to be able to carry out God's work, to be able to live in a way where we are like Jesus in his relationship with the Father, we are with him. Father, lead me in a way that allows me to walk closest to you. And you know what? Sometimes that may mean that we walk into temptation, that we walk into trial. But Jesus is not, the Father is not leading us into those trials to trip us up. He's leading us into the way that comes upon these trials because we are walking in his story. We are fulfilling his word and his way, his kingdom come We are participating in that. We are the 72 going out and telling about the kingdom that is coming. And we are praying, Father, give me what I need each day to carry out that work. Let me live and be an example to the people around me that you are to me as I forgive and I live in humility of who you are. And then... Father, allow me to do that in ways that gives you glory, 
that does not cause me to fall, that keeps me from doing the work you have called me to do. That is our prayer. Within which story do you choose to live? The Father's or yours? Your answer will determine how you pray. Is your prayer about the Father or is your prayer about you? Is your prayer about God's will be done or is your prayer about your will be done? Jesus was telling his disciples, your prayer should be about my story. Your story fits within my story. And what a wonderful story it can be if you will come into my pages and not try to write your own and pray according to that story because we then come to the master's encouragement. It's easy for us when we begin to pray to focus on ourselves, what we need, what we want. Last night, uh, Manette and I, splurged and went to get pizza and uh, Annette I was studying and Annette went to get the pizza and she called me and she, or she texted me and said I need to come the car won't start and we had been on vacation just came back she took um, the old 30 year old car um, to get the pizza and she said well it was backfiring and clunking and stuff on the way over and now it won't start And here I was studying about prayer. (laughs) And I started to say, just reflex. Oh, Lord, please let the car start. Holy Spirit. Well, why did you just pray that? Because I don't want to have a car that doesn't run and I don't want to have to take it to the mechanic and pay money to get it fixed. That's why I prayed that prayer. And God said to me, (laughs) through his word, our Father, hallowed be your name. How am I going to sanctify my name in your car? Not starting, Jonathan. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But I changed my prayer. (laughs) I said, Lord, I don't know how, but I hope your name will be sanctified in this situation. I, I want the car to start. <laughs> but more than that, I want your name to be sanctified. I want your kingdom to be advanced in the fact that this car isn't starting. I don't know how you're going to do that. But that's my prayer. It's easy for us in those times to just cry out, Lord, this is what I want. Please give it to me. But when we do that, we're saying, I know what I need, God. Now you need to meet what I need. What God wants us to say is, I am God. I am your Father. I know what's best for you. Pray that I do what is best for you in this situation. doesn't mean that I don't pray for my car. It's that I pray in the understanding of who I am praying to. 
And I pray in accordance to who he is and what his purpose is for me. And I trust that that is best because Jesus is and our father is a better friend. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I will have nothing set before him, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give them anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, traditionally, this has been taught that get in there and pray. If you don't get an answer, Keep praying. Keep pounding on the doors of heaven. And God, uh, God's going to answer your prayer. But you just got to keep at it. Don't give up. Keep praying. But there's an interesting thing that maybe we don't see at first. This word impudence is the only time it's used. People aren't exactly sure what it means. And it could very well mean shamelessness. Let's look at this a little differently because God is not a man sleeping with his children. God is not someone who is asleep. God is listening to us. God cannot be the man that is asleep with his children. When this person comes to him, It's not about the man in the house. It's about the person asking. The person who goes and asks is asking for a legitimate request. And the person that's in there, even if he wouldn't rise because he was a friend, which he may, he may give him the food because he's a friend. But if it doesn't do it for that, he will do it to save face. He will do it to avoid the shame of not helping his neighbor in this culture of hospitality. I mean, we think of it as, you know, well, this guy last night, I was in bed with the kids, we're in their rooms, each kid has their own room, and he comes up and my ring, doorbell goes off. And I open, oh, there's that guy, it's that neighbor. I hardly ever see him. He always drives into his garage, and then I see him drive out. I'm not even sure who he is. That isn't the picture here. These are people living side by side. The idea of privacy is hardly there. They're in a village where when people walked in, the words you would say when someone walked into your house was, the village welcomes you. You are not alone in this culture. So for this guy to go to his neighbor and say, hey, I need food, that was, that was normal. You've got to, as a village, welcome in this person. If the person who was asleep in the house did not provide the food, he would have been shamed. So even if he wouldn't give it as a friend, he would give it because he did not want to be shamed. And then it says, your father, how much better would he give. He's going to give. You don't have to pound on the door. 
He wants to give. He is listening. He is ready. The expectations are exceeded. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. That does not sound like a fight. (laughs) If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open to you. God is the better friend. This is a contrast between the man asleep and your God who is awake and listening and ready to hear your prayer and to answer your prayer because he is a better father. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, it's kind of like a pattern interrupt. You're praying and praying, Lord, my car broke down. Please start my car. And God answers, here's my spirit. Here's my Holy Spirit. Here is me revealing myself to you in this moment. Which is the better gift? The better gift is the Holy Spirit. What I want to leave you with this morning is that it's not the asking, seeking, and knocking of prayer that brings the receiving, finding, and opening. It isn't our prayers that bring about the answers. It is our Father. It is the pent-up blessings awaiting to be given, found, and discovered that should make it unthinkable that we would not ask, seek, and knock. If you are not having a prayer life, it's most likely because you're not having a relationship with the person to whom you can pray. Because as we pray to him, we realize that we have a father who is ready to give. The path to find what he desires for us is just the next step away. The door of his blessings is straining at the hinges. You don't have to knock on the door until your knuckles are bloody. It wants to be opened to you. But do you ask for your own desires? Do you seek along the path of your own choosing? Are you standing at the door of your own passions? Do you not do not think that by doing more you will learn to pray? Come to your Father. Place your will within his will. Bring your steps within the pathway of his story. Leave the empty door of your own understanding and come to his storehouse. Because 
we know best how to pray when we know best the Father who hears us. And Father, we come before you knowing that we are weak, knowing that we seek our own. We ask that it could be fulfilled upon our own passions. But help us not, help us not, Lord, to pray for our own things. But help us to pray that your will be done in the way you provide, in the way you lead, in the way you open to us. May we pray because we know to whom we are praying. Open our hearts to understand how to pray to experience this habit of grace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who has prayed that we would know this same unity. And we pray that his prayer would be answered. In his name, amen.